ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Thanks, y'all. Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start for, we're going to look at verse 28. Luke chapter 1, verse 28. And while you're turning there, um, just because it's, I've, I'm, I'm the one speaking, so I'm at least going to, I want to recognize my, uh, the moms in my life. Uh, I've got so many moms in my life. Thank you so much, Andy. Uh, first of all, my, my real mom. And uh, my, where is my real mom? I know she's here. Oh, hey, mom. Hey, there she is. And um, I love my mama. Man, I love my mama. She's my buddy, and she's put up with a lot of me. But I've also got more moms that, that, that are here today. Uh, I've got my, my mother-in-law and my grandmother-in-law. And the beautiful thing about my mother-in-law and grandmother-in-law is they don't treat me like an in-law. They treat me like a son and a grandson. And uh, I just thank you for that. Uh, as long as I'm not shooting fireworks at you, you're good at me, right? You're good for me, right? <laughs> Um, also, I uh, want to recognize, just because she's here, my mother from another color. Uh, mom, I love you. And uh, Miss Nikki Shaka, she's my mom too. And uh, I love her. And uh, I've, <laughs> I, just, I totally just put you on the spot, didn't I? <laughs> That's right. And, uh, and, I, and I do have a stepmother as well. She's not able to be here today, uh, Karen. And uh, I just want to thank you, uh, just as women, for how you've poured into my life and the difference that it's made. It's been great. All right, Luke 1, 28 through 38. This is a very familiar story that I, I believe will be appropriate today. And hopefully we'll just, uh, through, through the help of the Holy Spirit and, and God's work, we'll just be able to see it in a way that will truly celebrate moms today. Luke 1, 28 says this. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin uh, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, but the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? I bet she asked that question. (laughs) And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. God, one more time, we just thank you for what you're doing today, God. As we go through this text, I just ask, God, that you would just encourage. I just feel today I have an encouraging word from others. And I just pray, God, that nothing that I would say would, get, would hinder it or get in the way, but, God, that you would open up hearts and that you would anoint my lips and, and my words, God, that people would leave today and moms would leave today encouraged and full of hope. Father, God, I just thank you for stories like this that are so practical. And I just love you for it and every bit of it. In your name, bless our time together. Amen. Amen. You know, pressure does amazing things in our life. Um, maybe you've thought about it, maybe you haven't. Um, we talk about pressure a lot. Uh, we, we, we talk about being under pressure or, wow, what, what, a, what a pressure-packed situation. Maybe you've, 
Maybe you've walked into a room that you knew the pressure was on. Uh, maybe there's been a situation where there's been pressure uh, building up in your life. And, and uh, at some point, we've all dealt with or, or seen pressure. Uh, and I've actually seen pressure just do uh, amazing things, good and bad. Uh, pressure, when used the right way, can do actually incredible things in our lives. Uh, and this isn't an all-inclusive list, but you know, I, I've seen in my life personally where pressure can actually be an incredible teacher. Uh, there, there, there's been times in my life where um, uh, the pressure was on and, and, and I had a deadline to meet and, and I, I needed to learn something quickly and that pressure caused me to focus. And I was actually able to learn in a very quick time what I thought would take me a long time. I saw this really, uh, the, 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 I saw this play out in my life probably about maybe a month and a half after Kim and I started dating. Um, she was a youth pastor. Oh, I, I heard that. She goes, oh, Lord, I already heard it from the middle row. I saw this about a month and a half after Kim and I were dating, so I, I'm kind of in that I need to impress her mode, although with her showing up in a dress like that, I still got to impress you, Mama. You look good today. <laughs> um, and, uh, and so she was a youth pastor at the time uh, up, up in Snailville, Georgia, and, uh, which is a suburb of Atlanta, and, uh, and she was doing a lock-in for some of her teens, and we rode together to the lock-in, but I knew I wasn't going to be able to stay uh, because I had to go to work in Macon the next morning, and uh, so, I, so we knew that about one or two o'clock in the morning, I was going to leave. And uh, we had ridden in her Jeep, which, which was a stick. And she looked at me and she goes, hey, uh, I know you got to leave. You can just take my car. You know how to drive a stick, right? Well, the thing was, is I didn't know how to drive a stick. Um, my, uh, my experience driving a stick shift was back when I was 16. My dad tried to teach me how to, how to drive his little stick shift truck. And my sister was in the back seat. And we were at Macon State College in the parking lot where I couldn't hit anybody. And I stalled out probably some 30 to 40 times. I just couldn't get it from neutral to first gear. And every single time I stalled, I stalled out, my sister in the back would make so, some sort of comment. I stalled out. She'd go, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> I'd stall out again, she'd go, loser, <laughs> you know, I'd stall out again, and she'd go, dummy, I mean, over and over and over and over, and I'm a nervous wreck, and finally, after about the 30 or 40th fail time, you know, I said, I'm done, I'm done, never again, and I said, I'll never try again, but then all of a sudden, I find myself talking to this incredibly beautiful woman, and she's asking me if I know how to drive a stick shift so that way I can take her car home, and I have a choice, do I tell her the truth, and I don't know what to do, or do I lie? And I did the honorable thing as a man. I lied through my teeth and said, yes, I do. Absolutely, I know how to drive a stick shift. And at 2 a.m. in the morning on Highway 124, I remember getting in the car thinking, wait a minute, this is gonna, I, 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 I got to learn it because I got to get home, but I can't stall out. I, I can't blow up her transmission. And because of that pressure, I'm proud to say I learned how to drive a stick shift, taught myself. <laughs> Baby, I know what I've been doing all day long. This is good. Woo! <laughs> okay, the things, hey, and I'm sure you've got your stories about what you did to impress your girls too. I know you did. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it, it's true though, pressure that pressure, um, I learned how to drive a stick shift. I really did that one night because of that pressure moment. But I think pressure does even more than that. Uh, pressure, I, I, it can be the source of maybe some of our biggest failures. You know, we've coined the term uh, crack under pressure. 
And we've seen uh, sports teams, uh, you know, everything from Bill Buckner to, you know, uh, 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 people who, who uh, uh, blew three-game series leads and just choked under the pressure of the moment. Uh, we've seen politicians who, who uh, the pressure gets to them of the campaign trail and, and they crack and, and they say things that they shouldn't and they got to go back. I mean, we've, we've seen people and leaders just under the pressure uh, absolutely uh, just crack. And so it can be a source of failure in our lives and, and, and it could cause us to act in ways that maybe we never thought that we would in embarrassing ways. But at the same time, it could also bring out the best in us too. I think one of my famous, uh, one of my favorite quotes is a famous quote by Ernest Hemingway and, and he defined courage. And what he said was, he said, all courage is is grace under pressure. And that's true. And I'm sure we've all heard about how, how a diamond is made. And we've heard the story about how intense pressure from, from the weight of the soil and, and the com- compaction of the dirt and, and all this intense pressure eventually instead of just killing the soil actually creates a diamond. And we, I'm sure we've used that analogy in our life. So pressure can bring out our worst, but it can also bring out our best. I think ultimately, too, what pressure does is it actually shows us and reveals to us what's inside of our heart. Because, see, we all can gloss over our heart. We all can gloss over our emotions and who we are and put on a good face. But you put somebody under, under pressure, and who they really are is going to come out. Just like squeezing an orange. You squeeze it hard enough, you're going to get juice to come out. What's on the inside comes out under pressure. We see it all the time in our lives, but we even see it. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're like me, maybe you're not or whatever, but, you know, I tend to kind of watch a lot of reality TV or whatever. I'm not endorsing it, but, uh, you know, I've, I've watched everything from, from Big Brother to Amazing Race, and, and, uh, and we see these people under the, under the cameras, under pressure, you know, it brings out their best, and sometimes it brings out their worst, you know, um, we, we see shows like, like and, and they just celebrated their final season, American Idol, or even this show, uh, or this, this year we've seen uh, shows like The Voice, and, and these contestants come on, and it's so funny, they show these interviews, or, or the, the uh, how many people remember the American Idol where they'll bring the contestant out in front of the three judges at the interview stage, and they're nervous, and, and you've always got that one or two people that say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sing a song that the judge, that the judge wrote, or, or it never fails, I'm going to sing a Carrie Underwood song, or whatever, and you're just like, like, and the whole judges and everybody in the audience is going, why are they doing that? You have the best voice in the world, but you don't have that voice. And, you know, they, sometimes they'll try to discourage that person. But, but you know, then there never be is that person that says, oh, I'm going to sing a Whitney Houston song. I'm, a, I'm just like her. I'm going to sing it. And all of a sudden they say, okay, well, go ahead. And, and you see this person under the lights and under pressure. All of a sudden their voice begins to crack. And they're like, and I. Judges, just like you're doing to me, thank you for the courtesy applause. I, I make sure to pan the camera on who clapped because I'm gonna, I'm gonna take him out to lunch today. <laughs> but then the judges look at him and they say that was terrible. And they go, No, you don't understand. You don't understand. I can really sing. I can really do it. And it's just the pressure. I, it's just the lights. It makes me a little nervous. And the judges inevitably spin that person away anyway because they say, If you can't handle the pressure now, you're not gonna be able to handle it later on. Who they were comes out even in the biggest moments and when the spotlight's brightest. So Drew, why are you talking about pressure on Mother's Day? What does that have to do with me? 
that's great. Reality, you know, reality shows and you can't drive a stick shift and, you know, you wanted to impress your wife and all that stuff. What does that have to do with me? Pressure. Well, I think the reason why is because when we think about mothers, I believe that mothers are under an incredible amount of pressure, but oftentimes it goes unnoticed and unrecognized. See, when we think of mothers, when we think of Mother's Day, there are a ton of adjectives that we use. There are a thousand different ways that we describe mothers. And I guarantee you, oftentimes what comes first in our minds when we think of mothers isn't the word pressure. I guarantee you that for the children today with their moms or for the husbands with their wives who are moms or whoever, I promise you, you didn't go up to a mom today and say, mom, I just thank you so much because you were great under pressure. Yeah. I promise you this morning before I got here, I didn't roll over and look at my wife and say, baby, let me tell you the thing I love about you the most is just how you handle pressure. Mm. The children, I promise the kids didn't go up to mom and say, mommy, let me tell you how you handle pressure is great. I want to handle pressure just like mommy. We don't think in those terms. Oftentimes we use adjectives. When we think of mom and we think of mothers, we think of things such as caring or hero Mom, thanks for being my best friend. Thanks for being compassionate. Thanks for being a cook, Mom. Thanks for being a listener, a comforter, or confident. Mom, thanks for being a nurturer. See, we think of all those adjectives when it comes to being a mom. And I'll tell you what was funny is, is, and I've seen some people post this on social media this week, but maybe if you're a mom and you've got children who are in elementary school, maybe you came home or maybe your kids came home this week with the whole uh, my mom is fill in the blank. Uh, I've seen some people post it, and, uh, and, 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 and maybe you received that. I can just tell you, my second-grade daughter, Madison, uh, actually filled out one of these, and it's maybe a little bit hard to see, but this is People Magazine, uh, Mother of the Year. Look inside to find out why. Well, let's find out why. And so, my mom, a poem. This is what Madison wrote in as a fill-in-the-blank poem to describe Kim. My mom is as pretty as roses. Good job. My mom is as nice as Buddy the Elf. (laughs) My mom is as smart as a teacher. It's good because she is a teacher. Good job. My mom is as caring as Buddy the Elf. Literally, Kim sent this to me, and she goes, I wrote, I said, wow, you must be in high company if you got referenced by Buddy the Elf twice. Because Buddy the Elf come Christmas time is the most quotable thing in our house every December as kids watch Buddy the Elf, and they just quote him, have a good time. My mom is as funny as a clown. She's as busy as a bee. My mom is as sweet as uh, Miss Giles, who was a teacher that Maddie had last year. And my mom is as helpful as Cinderella. So... I guess that was before the transformation with the dress, baby. That's right. (laughs) You know, but what's so funny about this poem is we see all these adjectives to talk about mom, pretty, nice, smart, caring, funny, busy, sweet, helpful. I don't see pressured on that list. I'm sure if I had us list the 50 most top adjectives to describe mom, we would probably get through 50 adjectives before we even thought about, what about pressured? But it's true, no matter what 
no matter what mom or, or what situation as mom you find yourself in, there's all certain kind of pressures that hit you. There's pressures that hit you as a single mom if you're here. There's pressures that hit you as a, as a married mom. There's pressures that hit you if you're a stay-at-home mom. There's different kind of pressures if you're, uh, if you're balancing a career in being a mom. There's pressures that hit you if your kids are, are infants. There's pressures that hit you as a mom if your children are, uh, are, are elementary school age. There's pressures that hit you as a mom when they're teenagers. Amen. Uh, there's pressures that hit you as they grow and as they get older and as they move out of the house. Every phase of a mom that I've seen is, is, is packed with pressure. It is. Is it also filled with joy? Yes. Absolutely. But the biggest balancing act that I've ever seen a woman walk is that of a mom as she balances the incredible joy of having a child and pouring into the child along with the pressure of, I hope I don't mess this kid up. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it happen in, in, with my wife. With our first child, Madison, I saw it for every stage in her pregnancy that her and I walked through together, there was equal parts joy, and then I saw uh, at times a flip uh, or switch flipping her that signified, wait a minute, there's pressure too. I remember the first day that we went and told all of our family. We called all the family up. Kim's pregnant. Woo! Called up somebody else. Kim's pregnant. Woo! I mean, called up all these people. We're pregnant. Yeah! All that stuff. And then literally at night, uh, we, we lay down in the bed and her now just chit-chatting. And all of a sudden, she, she looks at me and she goes, we're pregnant. And it wasn't that joyful. It had been joyful all day, but then it was the, now we have a responsibility. I remember as we began to put together the, um, uh, the nursery, as exciting, as joyful as that was, oh, this sweet little baby's going to be here. There's pressure, you know, it's going to be awesome. Then all of a sudden it hit us, wait a minute, this nursery we're creating, there's going to be a lot of late nights. There's going to be a lot of, of uh, diapers we got to change. There's going to be a lot of fussy baby. So as joyful as it was, there was also that realization that there's pressure too. I remember even in one of the most joyful and just silly moments while Kim was pregnant, it also was pressure. Kim and I actually got kicked out of a Lamaze class while she was pregnant. <laughs> True story. Uh, Kim had every intention of, uh, of having an epidural. And again, I'm not trying to say that's what you should do. Everybody does labor uh, differently and I respect it. I'm just saying for my wife, she looked at me and she said, numb me up. And so I said, yes, ma'am, I'm going to complain about that. But we went ahead and went to a Lamaze class because in the, we'd never gone through a pregnancy before. So, you know, it couldn't help to work on, some, on uh, some breathing techniques. And so we show up at this class and we're walking around. And then all of a sudden, you know, in the middle of the class, the instructor is our first day there. And other people have been there before. The church says, all right, everybody, get your focal point out. We're going to work on our breathing. And I didn't realize what a focal point was. A focal point was, was something that the, the mom and the dad could look at to help them go through pains, or not them, her, to help her go through pains as, as contractions came on. And so all of a sudden I'm looking around and I see this dad uh, and mom, this one couple bring out a little fire truck. And as they're pretending to go through the labor pains and the breathing, you know, look at the fire truck, it's gonna be awesome. I saw somebody, you know, another couple bring out a cute little teddy bear and it was like, oh, it's so worth it, yes. And uh, I saw somebody else, you know, bring out, you know, like a little Bible, you know, and reading scriptures, yes. I'm like, okay. Then it hit me and Kim, we didn't have a focal point. 
So we didn't want to be the people left out, so I literally grabbed Ken's phone, and I go, and I'm going through, through pictures. And, and the first picture I came across was a picture of her crazy, uh, her crazy cousin Larry doing a face like this. And so all of a sudden, I just, I just put that focal point up to Kim, and as soon as I did, she just started busting out laughing. She couldn't stop, and then I got tickled. And we just started, we just started laughing. We couldn't stop, and finally the instructor looked at us, and she goes, do you need to leave? And we said, yes, we're going to leave. This is the most hilarious thing. And, of course, we were high-fiving each other. We got kicked out of a Lamaze class. Woo! As funny as that day was and as joy-filled as that day was, literally when we got in the car, all of a sudden it hit us as well. We were like, wait a minute, labor is coming up. There is going to be a responsibility. We are going to have to kind of figure this out a little bit. I think as moms today, you would, you would agree and you would sense that, that balancing act between absolute joy and absolute pressure at times too. And sometimes you experience them both in the same day. So why do I bring up Mary? Why do I bring up Mary, the most famous mother in the Bible? She gave birth to the Son of God, the Savior of the world. You know what? I think she knows what it's like to experience pressure. See, we read her story. We read Luke chapter 1, 28 through 38. We read that. And because we know the end of the story, especially if you've grown up in church, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus goes on to be the Savior of the world, dies on a cross, is raised three days later. Yay! Woo! Awesome! But I think sometimes we fail to, to realize the moment and the gravity of what's going on because we know the ending. That literally there was a teenage girl named Mary who an angel showed up and said, Hey, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to be a mother. And oh, by the way, your kid's going to be the savior of the world. It's easy for us because we know the end of the story to know how it turns out. But if we could, as best as we can, put ourselves in her moment, that is probably one of the most pressure-filled passages that we can read in the Bible. Here was Mary, imagine, going about her day, excited about being engaged, excited because she's about to start her life with her, with her new husband, excited about all the plans, about all the details, and her life was interrupted because it was her time and the world's time to give birth to the Son of God. Wow! I think as a mom, if we can look at some of her life, and maybe there are mothers here today, we can look at some of her life and we can see how in that moment, <coughs> excuse me, how in that moment there is so much pressure. Is there joy? Yes. Is there pressure? Yes. And today, I want to not only acknowledge the pressure, but if there's moms here today who feel that pressure, I want to I encourage you as well because I believe that there's, that there's a way that Mary perfected her pressure. But first, I want to look at the pressure that she felt. And, and maybe not a lot of you feel every single one of them, and that's okay. But I could imagine that at least as I go through some of the pressures that Mary felt, that maybe you can identify with one or two. Here's some ways in which Mary expanded, uh, in which Mary felt pressure. Maybe, maybe we'll feel the same way as well. Maybe you can identify with some. 
the first kind of uh, pressure that that she felt was um, her pregnancy affected her reputation. Because it's a little bit more commonplace in in today's practice, I don't think we realize how much (laughs) without her being married, she turned up pregnant, how much that affected her reputation. Do you realize, and I looked this up, do you realize that if Joseph wanted to, because they were engaged and he was the groom, and she ended up pregnant before they got married, do you realize that if Joseph really wanted to, he could have brought charges against her, and under the old Jewish law, Mary could have been stoned to death for unfaithfulness. That was that, and that was why, if you look at the story uh, later on, Joseph actually tried to leave Mary quietly because he didn't want to be with her because she was pregnant. He assumed it was another man's child, but he didn't want her stoned. That was the worst case scenario. Here's the best case scenario: is that he actually ended up marrying her, and for the rest of her life, she would go in public and she would tell the story. Yeah, I promise. I know me and Joseph are married, but you know this is actually God's baby. This is God's boy. God's the father. And I bet everybody looked at her and said, "Yeah, mm-hmm. God's the father of that baby." Mm-hmm. Oh, you say the Holy Spirit came upon you and actually, you know, uh, you were able to conceive without the help of a man or Joseph? Yeah, I believe you. Right. (laughs) This pregnancy affected her reputation. (laughs) It was pressure that came from that. And maybe there are moms here today, maybe even single moms or maybe married moms, who you feel that pressure of a reputation, just like Mary. It also affected her freedom. As much joy as there it is in having a child, in a lot of ways your freedoms are shot once you have a baby. It's funny, Kim and I, we love our kids. Oh, we love our kids. But we'll laugh sometimes at, you know, the fact that once, once a child came along, our nights, you know, our nice comfortable nights where we got to sleep through the night, they're shot. Our freedoms in the morning to be able to sleep in until 9 or 10 o'clock are shot. Because kids get up and they want breakfast. You know, Kim and I even joke about the fact that, you know, our ability to have an adult conversation with kids around is gone. Kim's nickname at home is my mom. We say it's my mom because literally, and it never fails, if Kim and I are having a conversation about something, the kids, whether it's Madison or Davis, will want to grab her attention, and they'll say mom, and before Kim can end her conversation with me to find out what they need, they say mom again. And so it goes, mom, 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 mom. And finally Kim will go, give me a second. And so we joke that that Kim's name is my mom. And yes, we love our kids. We love every part of them. Kids are the greatest gift God's ever given to us. But as far as being able to do whatever we want to do, whenever we want to do it, you can't do that with a kid. Neither could Mary. She had the Savior of the world that she was responsible for. She couldn't just do whatever she wanted to do. So there is a loss of freedoms. Another pressure that she had to face was she had to contemplate. She had to contemplate. She wasn't in the end. She had to contemplate about being a single mom. She did. The angel, when he spoke to her, mentioned nothing about Joseph sticking around. So when that angel left, in Mary's mind, she was going to go to Joseph. Joseph, I wasn't going to marry her. She mentally had to go there of, I've got to raise the Savior of the world by myself. 
And the only reason why Joseph stuck around because he was going to leave was because after he had made plans to leave, an angel showed up to him and said, hey, marry her. And I think that's, we, we, we forget that Mary was just like us, that she had thoughts just like us. You have to know she went there in her mind. How am I going to raise the Savior of the world by myself if Joseph, if Joseph walks out? How am I going to do that? Joseph did stick, did stick around, but you know the baby affected her marriage. See, we talk about all the time, hey, get married, kind of have a honeymoon phase, you know, spend a year or two kind of getting to know each other, ease into things before you start a family. She didn't get that luxury. You do realize that it was the ultimate shotgun wedding. It really was. Because here is Mary saying, yeah, God's the, God's the father of this baby. Joseph married her, and well, he wasn't. And then all of a sudden, an angel showed up to Joseph and said, no, you married this girl. So he did. They didn't have a honeymoon phase. They didn't have an ease it in phase. They didn't have just, you know, a six months or a year or, or maybe a little bit longer where they could kind of, you know, get established financially and everything else. They literally got married. They had their wedding night. Woke up the next morning. Joseph looked over to his new wife, and there was probably about five to six months of all kind of pregnant. And literally the song came on in the background. Back to life. Back to reality. There was no easing in for them. Don't you know that that pregnancy and that child, yes, there was joy, but there was pressure as it came for their marriage as well. The baby came with expectations. How would you feel? And I can't imagine. How would we feel if we knew that we were caring and were responsible for the Savior of the world? It gives a whole new context to when the child comes up and, you know, says, Mom, I want to be this. Well, you can be whatever you want to be. That's kind of what my mom would do. I'd come home and it changed like the wind. I'd say, Mom, I want to be a carpenter. Son, you can be whatever you want to be. Go get him, buddy. Mom, I want to be a basketball player. You can be whatever you want to be, buddy. Go get him. Mom, I want to be a musician. You can be whatever you want to be. Go get him. Mary didn't have that luxury. If Jesus came home one day and said, Mom, I really want to be a carpenter just like Dad. Okay, buddy, but just know this. You've got to be the Savior of the world. Mom, you know what I think I, I, you know what I want to be? I want to be a politician. That's what I want to be. That's great, but just know this, buddy. You've got to be the Savior of the world. Mom, I think I, I, think I want to travel a little bit. That's what I want to do. I think I just want to take some time off and travel. That's great, Jesus. Just know this, at some point in your travels, you've got to be the savior of the world. Travel well, go get them. Ha! Could you imagine the pressure that she felt that I am responsible to mold and to raise the savior? But not just the baby. Being a mom came with expectations. How does Mary, never been a mom before, a teenager, how does Mary... Raise the Son of God. Don't you know that in her heart, she's like, how am I going to do this? Maybe there's moms in here today at whatever stage or life or phase that you're in, that there's a part of you, if you're honest, you'll go, how am I going to raise this child? God, give me wisdom because how am I going to transition my child to a teenager? God, my kids are moving on. They're moving out. How am I going to transition to where they still like me, but... I don't see him every day. 
My kids are growing up. How can I transition? All that. How can I be a part of their lives? And whether you, whether you admit it or not, there, there still is a pressure as, as a mom. She had to piece together, here's pressure for you, she had to piece together a blended family. Two dads, one's God, huh? one's Joseph, multiple children, which created for some awkward family moments. It really did. There was a time when Jesus was about uh, maybe 11, 12, somewhere around there, that uh, they were walking somewhere, and Jesus went up missing. And uh, as the story goes, uh, Mary and Joseph, they went and searched for him for days and finally found him in the temple. And they said, Jesus, why, why did you leave us? And he looked at him and he said, he goes, well, I'm, you know, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm in my father's house. That's kind of awkward because you got Joseph right there and you know Joseph ain't the dad. And here's Jesus going, I'm hanging out with my dad today. It's awkward. You realize that made for some awkward moments between Jesus' brothers. There were literally, uh, John 7, 5 says this. It says that Jesus' brothers, the ones by Joseph and Mary, did not believe in Jesus. That's word for word. Because here's Jesus going around going, I'm the son of God. I'm the light of the world. Uh, uh, Come to me, all you who are weary, I'll give you rest. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm going to die on a cross for three days and come back and, uh, uh, and be the resurrection for you. I'm that. His brothers thought they were crazy. And so here's Mary with the pressure of, how can I, how can I have peace in this blended family? And in fact, Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him until after he raised from the dead. And that's where you see James, Jesus' brother, that's where you see him come into the faith and eventually write the book of James. But still, Mary had to, had to deal with that. Maybe there's some people here who you've got a blended family. She dealt with the pressure of being there. Throughout every and all phases of life, she was there with Jesus. Again, there's joy in that, but there's pressure in that as well. There is. She was there when he was born. She was there as they moved from country to country to avoid persecution. She was there as he was lost. She was there through his and what, and what she would term through those rebellious years, because we know that Jesus was never rebellious. But all of a sudden, Jesus, in her mind, comes off his rocker and says, yeah, I'm the light of the world. And there was literally a time, all right, parents identified with this, where Mary and her brothers came and sent word to Jesus. Jesus was teaching, and somebody came up to him and said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers, they're here today. They want to see you. And he said, who is my mother and brothers? Anybody who believes in me and follows my teaching, that's my mother and brothers. How do you think Mary felt about that? That must have been tough for her. As a father, I walked in this week, and my little girl, my second grader, walked right up to me in front of all of her classmates. As soon as you saw me, kissed me right on the lips and said, I love you, Daddy. And in the back of my mind, I'm going, I'm going to enjoy this while it lasts because it ain't lasting long. Because it won't be long before I walk up and she goes, Daddy, I'm running with you. I'm running away from you. I'm with my kid. I'm, I'm with my friends or whatever. Mary walked through that. Mary walked through him as he was empowered. Mary walked with Jesus as he was encouraged. Mary walked with him as he, as he performed miracles, as he led others. All the phases of life, Mary was there. And she was there as he died. I fully recognize today that there are people here and there are mothers here 
who have buried a child, who've had a miscarriage. And I know that wasn't on your plan, and it wasn't on Mary's plan either. I also know that there are people here today who want so desperately to have a child. And right now in this season of your life, you can't. I just want to applaud you for your courage on Mother's Day to come in. To, to come in. Nothing that I can say can take away your pain. But what I can say is that Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, walked through those same emotions as you did. And God comforted her, comforted her gave her purpose, and that he promises to do the same with you as well. But I know there was a pressure with Mary as she walked through all the phases of life with Jesus. She had to face her own inadequacies. She had to own up to her, to her own gaps in faith. You realize that when the angel of the Lord in the passage we just read came to Mary and said, Mary, blessed are you and highly favored of the Lord. It said that those words actually troubled her. Can I be honest? If an angel showed up to me and said, Drew, you're highly favored of the Lord, I was like, Woo, I'm doing something right. Yes. But it said that for her, those words troubled her. I believe it's because she struggled in her own, with her own inadequacies. Why would God come to me? She maybe some struggled with her faith. And God, she's a, she's a teenager. She's a kid. But all those pressures she faced, and maybe there are people here who you face, yes, there's joys of being a parent, but you also face those pressures as well. So we've talked about the pressures. Now let's talk about how did Mary perfect her pressure? Well, Drew, don't you mean how did the pressure perfect Mary? Uh-uh. There was actually three statements in this passage that Mary said that showed that she saw the pressure coming and she actually chose to perfect the pressure. She had an attitude and perspective that can apply to us today that will allow us, even when the pressures of motherhood come, we can perfect it and use it as opposed to it using us. Here's the first thing. First thing Mary did to perfect her pressure is she pulled the right person. She pulled the right person. The angel of the Lord came to her and said, you're going to have a son, so it's going to be Jesus. He's going to be the savior of the world. She actually said, well, Hold up, hold up, why, why, why are you here? I, I've got a question. How can this be? I've never been with a man. How am I supposed to get pregnant? You notice what she didn't do that maybe a lot of us would do? You notice that as soon as the angel said that, she didn't say, give me one second, and pick up the phone and call her best friend and say, girl, guess what I heard today? I'm supposed to give birth to the Savior of the world. What do you think about that? Woo! She didn't go to all of her friends. She didn't have neighbors come over. She didn't discuss it with a thousand different people. Nothing. She had specific questions, and she went to the one person that could answer them. Now, am I saying that talking to people and gaining wise advice is wrong? Absolutely not. What I'm saying is that as you experience the pressures that maybe come up of motherhood, why don't you go to the person that could actually answer them? 
Why don't you open up a dialogue and say, God, I don't understand what's going on. I feel pressure this moment seems a little bit too big for me. But before I talk to anybody else, I need to talk to you. Here's the beautiful part. As she talked to the angel, the angel talked right back to her. I fully believe, even though she only asked one question, I fully believe that she could have asked as many questions as she wanted to, and that angel would have sat right there and talked to her. Because the angel never got on to her for asking questions. The angel never got offended. He never got mad and said, oh, what's your problem? You don't have little faith? You don't believe in my words? Nothing like that. She said, how can this be? She asked specific questions to the angel, and he gave specific answers. Maybe there are mothers here today who you've got questions about your future, your life, your child, how you're going to provide, how you're going to do all these things. How about you start by talking to the one who offers to give you specific answers. We take this passage for granted, but she goes, I've never been with a man. How am I going to get pregnant? Oh, that's simple. The Holy Spirit, the Holy what? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to conceive a child. How would your life change as a mom if you would just start there? Every pressure, every time you sense pressure come up in your life, you started there. On top of that, she not only polled the right person. Let me get the band to come up as well, please. Or Ben. Not only did she poll the right person, but she walked, I'm sorry, she reframed her role. Not only did she poll the right person, but she actually reframed reframed her role. Notice what she said. The angel said, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to conceive. It's going to be the Savior of the world. And she goes, I am the Lord's servant. I think that's powerful because the the angel gave her an identity and spoke things over her and she reframed her role. The angel uh, showed up on the scene and said, blessed are you, highly favored of the Lord. You are going to birth the son of God. He's going to be the savior of the world. You are going to birth a God. That's literally what that angel said. And in that moment, she didn't take those things to heart. Everything the angel said to her, she reframed and she said, okay, I know what you're telling me that I am, but let me reduce the pressure a little bit so that way I don't try to fill the role of what you're telling me to do. Let me put myself in a right frame of mind and actually say, you know what? I know what you're saying, but let me tell you what I believe I am. I'm a servant. I believe one of the pressures that I think moms put on themselves is this pressure to be these things, all these things, provider, friend, confident, um, fun person, uh, uh, a person who plans all these adventures, planner, everything else, because they want to be a good mom. I really have yet to find a mom who woke up and wakes up every morning and says, man, if I can only be a bad mom today. (laughs) I haven't found one. I believe moms want to be good moms. And the people in your life see you as a good mom. But I think sometimes moms struggle with that for themselves because they put all these identities on themselves that I've got to be this and I've got to be that. I've got to act this way or do this way. And, and sometimes when they don't reach them, all of a sudden, they, mostly they come crashing down because they're like, man, I didn't meet these lofty goals. There was some lofty incredibly high goals for Mary to meet, to be the mother of the Son of God. And she had the presence of mind to reframe all that and say, you know what, I know what you say I am. I'm a servant. Here's the beautiful part about her saying that she was a servant. 
is that once she says she's a servant, that means she's not responsible. Oh, she's going to carry her weight of responsibility. She's going to play her part. But she recognizes that her strength comes from something else than what she can provide. She recognized her limitations and said, if I'm, not, if I'm, if I'm going to attempt to raise the Son of God, I need an energy and a power and a source that I can't always provide for myself. So I'm going to be a servant and trust the Master that He will give me what I need when I need it to accomplish this task. How many, how many moms in here, you wake up every day And in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you put pressure on yourself. Yes, there's joy, but you put pressure on on yourself to be this ideal that nobody else expects you to be, not even your own children. But you put this, this pressure on yourself to act this way and to be this way. How would your life change if you just woke up and said, God, I'm not gonna get it all right today. I'm not gonna have everything perfect today. I'm not gonna always be on schedule. But God, I'm gonna be a servant today. I'm your servant. And you'll you'll give me the strength that I need to accomplish what I need for my family and for my children today. That right there changes everything. Would your life change if it did? And finally, not only did she pull the right person, not only did she reframe her role, but she walked in the right words. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Notice what she didn't say. She said, your word to me be fulfilled. Notice what she didn't walk in. She didn't walk in the right, she did not walk in the right feelings. She knew that her feelings were going to be up and down, changed like the wind. So she had to look to something else. She didn't necessarily always walk with it all figured out. The angel told her, you're going to be this mother, the savior of the world. And she didn't try to figure out some year-to-year plan about how she was going to grow this kid to actually be the savior of the world. She didn't try to figure it all out one day. She didn't didn't necessarily always walk in the right circumstances. If you look at her life, there were times she understood. There were times she didn't understand. There were times she moved. There were times she stayed. There were times she laughed. And there were times she cried over her boy. She didn't necessarily always walk with the right people. But what she did is such an encouragement to us, and especially to the moms here today, is that she walked in the right word. She didn't look to circumstances or to other people. None of those things were a guarantee from day to day. But she had the word of God that she was going to give birth to and raise the Son of God. What an incredible anchor for her. As times got good, as times got bad, as times got confusing, as the pressure hit, she was able to say, no, 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 no. I know what's in front of me. I know what I see. I know what I feel. But let me tell you what the Word said. I'm going to tell you one of the biggest gifts my mom gave to me growing up. She was a single mom. One of the biggest gifts she gave to me growing up is when she made the decision that she was going to walk on God's word and what he said for our family. She prayed for me. She spoke God's word over me, brought me to church even when I didn't want to go. 
There were times, literally, I remember this, there were times that she would come in my room at night while, when I was asleep. She put her hands on my hands and she would just pray over me. God, I give this baby more to you. Don't let these hands touch drugs. Don't let these lips spout profanity. You protect his mind, God. Which if you were asleep, how, how do you know she prayed over you? Because there was a couple times I woke up and it freaked me out. I wake up, I go, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm just praying for you, baby. I just love you so much. Thanks, Mom. I'm going to go sleep in the other room now. It's awkward. <laughs> but you know what she was doing in those moments? She was recognizing that God's word was going to be an anchor for her and our relationship and for my life. And in those moments that she, she prayed for me as she would read scripture over me, in those moments what she was literally doing is she was saying, here's your words, God. I'm going to take my hands off. It's yours. I think for the moms in here today, is there joy in being a mom? Yes. Are you going to walk out of here, be celebrated? Absolutely, and you should be. But I want you to be encouraged today as well. I want you to leave here with a word from God for your life that you can be encouraged that as the pressures come, if it's not today, if it's tomorrow, next week, next month, as you feel those pressures, there's three things you can do to actually be able to, to look at your pressure different, differently. You can do it. If you're willing yeah, talk to the right person. Talk to God about every single bit of it. Let him be the person that lifts your burdens when they come. Reframe your role. You were never asked, and it was never your responsibility to do every single thing at every single moment. If you would just take a moment and say, you know what, I'm a servant, I'm going to do what I can. God, I'll fill in the gaps. I was talking to a mom recently talking to a mom recently and whose, whose kid is just incredible. Kid's just incredible. Really is a really cool kid. And I was, I was just complimenting her. I said, man, you did such a great job. This kid and this child. And she looked at me and, and it was such a true moment. She said, yeah, God sure did fill in a lot of gaps, didn't he? I said, yeah, you played your part too, but I, I see what you're saying. God can fill in a lot of gaps for your family and for you. He's good, he's gracious, he cares about you. But after you reframe your role, I think more importantly, more than anything, is that you stand on God's word. As you know God's word for your life, as you trust his promises, even when you don't see it, even when you don't feel it, if you'll build your home and your life and your family on his word, you will see his promises come true over and over and over again. Your testimony will be, I've seen the faithfulness of God. Here's what I'd like to do as we, as we close. I'm, I'm literally going to get us out before noon today. If I get all the moms to stand up, I don't want to embarrass you at all, but I do want to honor you. If you feel comfortable, if I get the moms to stand up, and here's what I'd like, not yet, but when I say go, if if your mom is here today, 
I'm going to take a couple of moments and just ask that everybody else step in. Just lay a hand on your mom and just pray for her. Pray these things over her. If there's a mom that's not here, but you're here, but you see a mom whose children aren't here, go lay a hand on them. Go ahead and move now. Let's surround these moms. going to spend just the last couple minutes just encouraging mom and if there is a mother here who does not have anyone or someone to pray with them I would invite you to meet me up here I'm going to bring you to our family as, as, as I pray for our moms because I'm about to step down as well I just I want to make sure there's no moms left alone today we love you But I want you to play. I want you to pray three specific things as Ben plays. I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God will begin to perfect her, the pressure. I want you to pray that the mom that you're praying for in front of you would begin to pull the right person. That that mom would begin to talk to God and hear God for the pressures. Pray that you would ask God and begin to pray that the mom in front of you would begin to reframe your role, that she she doesn't have to be everything. She can just be a servant and that God will fill in the gaps and that she's celebrated no matter where she's at. And more importantly, I just ask that you would pray for that mom to be able to walk in the words of God that the word of God would take root in her heart and would comfort her, be a source of strength for her. Let's take three to four minutes and just take our time and let's just pray for mom. Ben, if you'll play, please.